I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Foo followers around the world. Look, we have a special bumper collection of prizes to give away in this month's competition. Not only do we have two copies of the complete first season of the Sky TV action crime show Gangs of London on Blu-ray to give away, but we also have three copies of the 1985 Hong Kong horror comedy classic Mr. Vampire to give away. That is also on Blu-ray. To be in with a chance of winning, simply sign up now to our newsletter at kungfumovieguide.com. Full competition details will be announced in our July newsletter, which will be released on the 31st of July. That's this Friday. So become a registered Foo follower today to be in with a chance of winning. Mr Vampire is available now to buy on Blu-ray here in the UK, courtesy of Eureka Entertainment, and Gangs of London will be available from today on Blu-ray, DVD and digital, courtesy of Dazzler Media. Head to Amazon now to pick up your copy. Okay, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show season five episode 57 it features my conversation with the one and only lauren avedon without any further ado let's get on with the show here we go well if you're really so determined to have a fight then i'll oblige (laughs) (laughs) hello 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 everybody Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, food followers everywhere, welcome to the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast with your host, Ben Johnson. That is me. Thank you so much for downloading, for streaming, for checking out and listening to this episode of the show. We have Lauren Avedon on the show today. I had a lot of fun chatting to Lauren, the star of some of my favourite martial arts films growing up. His first three films in particular were in heavy rotation. Uh, When I was a kid, those are No Retreat, No Surrender 2, Raging Thunder from 1987. That was followed by No Retreat, No Surrender 3, Blood Brothers in 1990. And The King of the Kickboxers, also released in 1990. You may also know those films under slightly different titles. I know Karate Tiger was uh, the name of this series uh, elsewhere in the world. I loved those films as a kid, and as a result, I was a big Lauren Avedon fan growing up. And the action is still superb in those films. They still possess a a huge cult appeal, I think. And uh, particularly anyone who listened to my most recent chat with Scott Adkins on episode 52 of the podcast, you would have heard Scott discussing his love of Lauren's work and particularly in the No Retreat No Surrender films. Those films were made by the Hong Kong production company Seasonal Films 
which was run by Roy Horan and Ung Si Yuen, known simply as NG. They were English language films that starred American actors but featured blistering Hong Kong fight choreography and stunt work. And Lauren, who had never really done any acting up to that point, uh, he was a taekwondo ace at the time and a part-time instructor at Jun Chong's Taekwondo School in Los Angeles. Lauren then suddenly found himself as a big martial arts movie star with a trio of huge video hits on his hands. He lives in Clearwater in Florida and he is still a very keen martial artist, trains all the time, he's still a martial arts instructor. He doesn't work so much in the film industry anymore, but as he explains in this conversation, it's not something that he has completely abandoned. So, hey, who knows, we may one day see Lauren Avedon back on our screens again, kicking ass. That would be amazing. Let's do hope that that does happen. So that conversation is coming up. But before I throw over to my chat with Lauren, just a quick note about the show. The Kung Fu Movie Guy podcast is now in its fifth season. On this show, we talk to people from all over the world about their involvement in martial arts movies, whether they be actors, directors, producers, stunt performers, fight choreographers. We do also chat to writers and experts on the genre. We're currently releasing new episodes every two weeks on a Monday. You can follow the show on social media. We are on Twitter at KF Movie Guide and we are on Facebook and Instagram the name there is simply at Kung Fu Movie Guide the show is available on Apple Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher, Acast SoundCloud and wherever it is that you normally get your podcasts if you are interested in supporting the show you can now donate via PayPal all donations are greatly appreciated and will go a long way to helping us to continue to provide this content for you guys visit kungfumovieguide.com for all the social media links donation options and contact information you can also read reviews of all the latest and classic martial arts movies please do send me any questions or feedback you might have regarding the show or the website via our email address you can email me on hello at kungfumovieguide.com Okay, it's Lauren Avedon time. This chat with Lauren was recorded in April of this year, 2020, over the internet. I did message Lauren last week just to ask if he had any news that he maybe wanted to update us on or anything he would like to plug. And he did mention to me something that his daughter is working on. This is called Warrior Wear Clothing. The website is warriorwear.clothing. This is for the warrior in you. It's a new venture which is just getting off the ground, but the idea is to raise money for a number of organisations. These include UNICEF, the UN Refugee Agency, SaveAWarrior.org, that looks at helping returning war vets who have PTSD, and also Canines for Warriors, which is a charity which provides service dogs to veterans. We should say that Lauren does have a personal connection to the armed forces. His dad, Bert S. Avedon, was a US naval aviator who served in both the Second World War and the Korean War. So there you go, that's called Warrior Wear dot clothing, a little plug there that I said I would give for Lauren. They're very worthy causes, so 
go online and check that out. For any other Lauren Avedon updates, you can, of course, head over to his website, laurenavedon.com, and his Instagram page, which is at laurenavedonofficial. Okay, I think that's enough from me. I will be back at the end of this conversation to sign off properly. But until then, let me now throw over to my conversation with the great martial arts movie star, Lauren Avedon. You've been doing martial arts, Lauren, for... Good grief. What, 40 years, maybe? Does that sort of sound about right? Most of your life you've been doing martial arts. Yeah. Do you still find new things to learn in the martial arts? Are you without, still without, learning every day? Without a doubt. And yeah. the thing about it is, is having the, having done it for so long, it's there. The mm. idea of longevity is... Yes, when you get to sixth or seventh degree black belt, you're probably going to be 50 or, you know, 60 years old, perhaps. Yeah. So they're not going to have you doing, you know, flying 720 gigs or something. Sure. It becomes more simple. But, it, but doing all of those forms and doing it to perfection is a meditation. And I find time disappears when I do that. And I find yeah. that I just keep my skills up. And do you find that your body over time has sort of become conditioned? Can you still do, you know, the splits that you're doing in King of the Kickboxes? And uh, is that something that comes naturally still? Well, you know, it takes a bit. Sometimes I get lazy and I don't stretch. Yeah. But if, I, if I get back into to stretching a bit, then, you know, of course I can do the splits. Now, yeah. can I do a helicopter kick anymore? No. I can't. But put it this way, <clears throat> I don't have to do all of those things. All of those things are really nice. They're captured in, in pictures and all of that. Yeah. But that's not something that's going to protect me when I'm sitting in my car at a stoplight and somebody taps me on the window with a, with a gun pointed at my head. That's mm. what I have my, my pistol for. And that's yeah. what I carry with me. And in America, we are we all got guns. Yeah. And it always for a British person, it's always uh it's just so hard to get our heads around that that concept. But you know, yeah. that's that's for another discussion maybe. But yeah. Absolutely. But let's yeah. just say I'm always tactically aware and I yeah, I do teach and have taught seminars and just pure awareness and pure, pure the ideal uh, the idea of fighting without fighting you're very much an advocate for the martial arts as being a great thing for kids and young people to learn kids who are in disadvantaged situations or whatever their situation is uh, martial arts can set them on the right path you, you agree with that I absolutely do. When I used to teach the kids at Jun Chung, I got the two classes every afternoon. And the parents used to come to me and say, I, what, are you, what are you doing? I, I don't understand. He's, he's, this, my child is, is listening to me. He's cleaning his room. He's asking his mother if he can help with chores. I yeah. said, well, you know, I tell him to do that. And I also say that I need to see their report cards. 
And I also always tell them, you know, you wouldn't be here or none of us would be here without our parents. So you must mm. always treat them with respect. When you were growing up, Lauren, did you have that same level of discipline or was that something that sort of came to you later? Well, let's just say uh, my mother was uh, not a, a coddling mother. She was a sure. loving mother. She was both mother and father, and she was a tough woman. She was also involved in showbiz, wasn't she? I mean, when you were growing up in Los Angeles, she was working in yes. commercials. Is that yes. right? This lady was an amazing person. Yeah. She uh, did a man's job in a man's world, and she was undeniable, her talent. She taught herself how to draw. She became an art director, a storyboard. You know, they make the you make storyboards when you're doing commercials or whatever. Sure. And she was such a great talent that she became a creative director, then a a commercial producer, a commercial director. This is how I got to grow up around all of these big movie stars. Yeah, you were in that world, weren't you? And I think your very first appearance on camera was in a, a milk commercial. Is that right? Yeah, I was in. I was a Carnation Milk kid. Yeah, we did a whole uh, a whole series of things in the newspapers when with me and this cute little girl, and you know she used me all throughout my young life. When she was doing the May Company commercials, she'd have me skateboarding in some of the clothes that you know that they were offering for back to school or. She, she just, you know, I never saw any money for this, pal. Don't get, don't, <laughs> don't get me wrong. She knew I was photogenic, and she knew I could do exactly what I was told. I was on the set before I was born. <laughs> Moving to London, I know you were there early 70s, just at that time when, you know, martial arts movies and Bruce Lee and... All that stuff was kicking off. I don't know. Do you have memories of that time and London here? I'd love to have been in London around that <laughs> around that time. Absolutely. And my yeah. my great grace was Tyler McKenzie. We were off on a trip to the Hot Air Balloon Festival in Bath. And Lovely. Yes. And so we were together and Tyler said, I'm going to see this movie with this uh, martial arts Chinese guy named Bruce Lee, and it's called, uh, I can't remember if it was called Fists of Fury or Chinese Connection, because it was that's the same movie. Sure. He had to be 17. I was only 10 and a half. Hmm. He had me go up to the booth and ask the lady for a ticket, so I did. She said, you're not 17. <laughs> and I said, give me the ticket. <laughs> And she bloody well gave me the ticket. And I sat there and watched Bruce Lee with Tyler. And I was absolutely transfixed yeah. by this man who needed nothing, who was a reluctant hero and was so, such a, excuse me, badass. And, sure. And was always trying to do the right thing and being pushed around and forced into you know, fighting and doing his thing, but doing so with such, such amazing skill, you know, mm. and I was just absolutely taken. And then about three months later, he died. Yeah. So when I went back to the States, there wasn't much around as far as karate. I had a couple of friends 
that went to Jun Chung. Uh, there were some other schools there that were really not at all up to par. Was Bill Wallace there at that stage? Um, and the Rees, were they there then at that stage? Well, Jun Chung bought that school from Chuck Norris, I think sure. in uh, the early 70s. I started there uh, in the summer of eight of 1980, sure. Uh, just before I turned 18. I walked into the school, and there was this Israeli chap named Remy, and he was running and flying through the air and side flying sidekick in this bag, folding it in half, and its bag swung and hit the ceiling. And he catch it and set it up back again, and I just sat there at the railing and I said can you do that again that that was amazing and he said sure that's what I'm doing right now I'm practicing my flying sidekick and then he did it he and the ceiling wasn't very high at Jun Chung on Wilshire but Mm -hmm. so he had to kind of fly through the air and ball up duck you know turn his head a little bit so that he didn't hit the ceiling and then hit this hit this bag and I said, I want to learn how to do that. Once you picked up Taekwondo, you were at Jun Chong's, you were training super hard. And that was clearly your goal then, was it? That was your life ambition. You just wanted to, to train and teach and martial arts with, was everything at that, at that point. Absolutely. I was going yeah. to college. I mean, you know, I had to, had to go to school. Uh, but I took that class and Simon Ree was my first, my intro instru- instructor. I thought I was in shape because I was a cross country runner. Well, I wasn't in shape for that, for, <laughs> for what I was doing there, boy. So about 40 minutes through the class, I'm starting to take my jacket off and I feel somebody behind me zipping it back up. And it was Master Ree uh, saying, you know, keep your shirt on. And, uh, you know, you ask permission if you want to do something like that. And then I took that class, and I was absolutely hooked. And the whole idea of being in a place where you leave the world behind when you bow in, and Mm. you can create whatever you want to be and be the best at whatever they are trying to teach you, it's all up to you. And I saw these men and how they were like cats. They were like lions tigers i don't know they came so close to killing each other and stop and do you still keep in touch with philip Ree, simon Ree? i know because they're so busy aren't they still you know in the film industry but um you know they're, they're still people that you you keep in touch with absolutely master philip Ree is an amazing man a philosopher all of these men were philosophers they uh i learned so many lessons about I had no one to show me how to be a man. My mother did the best she could, but she was a woman. She couldn't show me how to be a man. So I walked into this school and I saw these guys walking like cats and having this energy and this swag about them and this, this calm power about them. And uh, I just wanted to be like that. So I just ate it up. I found, I found home. It was like church for me. And I was just blessed, really blessed, with sort of a natural instinct, very fast reflexes. And yep. at that time, I had finally sprouted up, and I was about six six foot almost, and then I sprouted another two inches at 19 in a year. 
and got up to 6'2". Yeah. And my long legs and my going to every single class and then being with the guys that would go to, to compete, I found that I could handle myself a lot better because I was able to train with those great guys. Vital nerve's left foot. Because obviously Simon and Philip Ree were quite active in the film industry then anyway, that's sort of how you got noticed for No Retreat, No Surrender. Is that is that correct? Yes. The the thing is is that they were always calling the karate studio looking for people who could kick and who yeah. wouldn't mind doing a bit of stunt work and so on and so forth. A phone call comes through to the school saying Roy Horan is looking for someone to replace Kurt McKinney. He's not going to do the sequel to No Retreat, No Surrender. And he calls up your school. Is that how that, yeah, how that worked? He called up yeah. Jun Chung. Now, he, the story is, is he, you know, they, the Chinese had beaten the crap out of him in L.A. when they did No Retreat, No Surrender. Yeah. And Jean-Claude was scared to death to go to Thailand to be in their neck of the woods, then be, you know, uh, under under the guise of, of these very, very, very tough stunt coordinators and fight mm-hmm. choreographers and the five-man stunt team that all of these movies are made with. Is that why he didn't do the sequel then? Because he, he was supposed to be in the second film wasn't he yes that's correct he was under contract but he had also shot blood sport and blood sport sat on on the shelf um because canon films didn't know what to do with it and then all of a Mm. sudden you know no retreat no surrender 2 comes out and it goes in 2500 theaters and then dolph lundgren's red scorpion and then you shot all of these martial arts movies coming out so golden Mm. globus finally said, all right, well, it's time to put Bloodsport out. It's, it's, it's perfect. And so, so hence that went, went the way it went. But mm. they were always calling the karate studio because a lot of these Hollywood stunt guys, they could throw big bolo punches. They could get thrown through windows, you know, fall off horses, you know, jump cars, uh, get do car hits or whatever, but they couldn't kick. So Roy Horan <clears throat> gives you this audition. Right. And you you must have stormed this audition because he just gave you the job <laughs> there and then. From what I've read, is that sort of how it went? <laughs> no, he he looked at a few other people, but yeah. The thing about it is, this is the weirdest thing of all. I had just come back from Africa, spent all my money, went on safari with my father, and seen all of these incredible things. I was almost going to stay in Kenya because it was so so overwhelmingly right. gorgeous. And all of these wonderful people there, and I would have just learned Swahili and, you know, been a safari guide. But the thing is, is that I knew that I had to get back to the States. I was out of money. So I'm trying to sell used cars for a week at Claude Short Dodge in Santa Monica. Haven't sold one. And so I'm at the karate studio for the first time in seven or eight weeks because I've been off gallivanting around, you know, Kenya and Tanzania and then back. And the phone rings. And the guy who answered the phone, his name was Jose, and he, he didn't understand Roy. 
And uh, so he said, Lauren, can you talk to this guy? And I said, sure. So 9.30 at night on a Friday night. Who called... Who calls a karate studio at 9.30 in the evening yeah. on a Friday night? But were they panicking then because they were so close to going out to Thailand to make that movie? Like, how close was it between you getting that starring role, <laughs> we should say, um, yeah. in this this big movie to then actually being in Thailand and, and making it? It was quite a quick turnaround, was it? Yeah, they had all the sets built. They had yeah. everything ready. They had an entire crew and Yun Kuei, Corey Yun Kuei, one of the greatest Hong Kong directors, you yeah. know, uh, of that era, uh, sitting there waiting. And so Roy saw me, and he had called me to say that he, that he had to change the appointment or the audition time. And I told him, I said, look, that's the only time I can come because I just knew I had to get in there. I, I knew, I just knew it. I felt it in my bones that I had to go and be one of the first people that he saw or one of the, you know, and set the bar. Oh, oh, oh. You see, I just want to kill you like dogs. <laughs> I took acting classes on a, a complete lark. The uh, teacher happened to be Alan Landers who, had studied at the actor's studio and was teaching the Stanislavski Meisner technique. And uh, he hands me some sides and he says, here, give this a try, you know? And I, I go, okay. And I stand up in front of this group of people and it's just 12 people that I don't know in the dark, basically, because the light was on wherever we were. And I'm doing this scene, and I'm shaking like a leaf. Yeah. And it bothered me. It bothered me. Why am I so afraid to say some words on a piece of paper in front of people? What's wrong with me? So I signed up because I said, well, you know what? At least you're going to overcome whatever, whatever has given you the shakes, you'll learn. And, you, and this is another art form, isn't it? And I was about 20 years old. So I had a few years of going to this class. I had no agent. I had no, I mean, eventually I got some commercial agent and was going on all these. I had a pager and all that junk. But, you know, I, I had no real aspirations. It was just a challenge and something that I wanted to learn to overcome. Roy must have seen something. Oh, yeah in you in order to because he didn't just sign you up for no retreat no surrender two it was a three picture deal so he was like i gotta have this kid yeah do you know what did he ever tell you like what what was it that he saw in you that he thought this is the guy that that we need well roy roy was not a man of very many words he he was kind of an odd duck uh yeah but basically <clears throat> what happened was, is I showed up at this house in Altadena, California, had my bag, you know, had my pads and my whatever, and he opens the door, he looks me up and down with his beard and everything, and he doesn't look very impressed at all, so I'm like, okay, here we go. So he's like, why don't you, why don't we see what you can do first? He saw my reactions, he saw the beauty of my technique, my kicks and, and all of these various things. And he was like, okay, 
And then we got to the acting. Now, let me tell you, these scripts are not very good. You know, they're not exactly... Uh, it's not Shakespeare. No, it's not Shakespeare. And uh, let's just say I learned, you know, look, whenever you're doing something, I would always bring, you got to have it's something in you that you can bring out and be truthful, get into the scene and be it. Okay. So yeah. I made him laugh. And this man had a face of stone. He showed no emotion. And when I was reading the script, it's supposed to be this kid, this farm boy from Indiana who's fallen in love with this Asian gal at college or whatever the backstory was. And then he goes to, to uh, Thailand to, to introduce himself and to ask her to marry uh, him. And he saw the, that Indiana farm boy in me and he saw also that I was photogenic, and they didn't. Mm. We didn't have the job yet. We, me and uh, uh, Matthias, Matthias, that was his first role as well. Yeah, he yeah, he was pretty green as well then, wasn't he? Yeah, but he did a fantastic job. And this is the yeah. furthest from Matthias. Matthias is one of the very sweet, very sweet guy, intelligent uh, gentleman, a gentle giant. The thing about it is, is we didn't have the role yet. I'm there in the middle of the night. I've just been on a flight for 30 hours to get to to uh, Bangkok, and I get stopped in the middle of the hallway by Yun Kuei, and Roy Haran throws a couple punches and kicks at me, which I react to. And, you know, he said, they say something in Cantonese, and the next day we're out in the parking lot me and uh, of the Ambassador Hotel, me and Matias, and we're doing a screen test. And so, and so, <laughs> but didn't you? Because Matthias, I've spoken to, to Matthias about this. He said that Roy Horan, whose actual Taekwondo master was Wang Jiang Li, who's in that movie, yeah. said to you guys, "You go off and train with him." So you guys got a Taekwondo lesson from an absolute master <laughs> in uh, Huang Jiang Li. Is that is that correct? Absolutely. We were in the uh, in the Ambassador Hotel for about a week while they geared back up to start shooting. Being in the gym with Huang Zhang Li, who, by the way, was one of the, another absolute gentleman, uh, just yeah. such a wonderful mentor, such a wonderful man. Uh, and he spoke enough English and, you know, he's Korean, as you know. Mm. And, um, let me tell you something. One time, one time he had me just hold my hand up and he just took his, his, he had his knee up already, but he just did a crescent kick from the knee. He didn't start from the ground and swing it. And he just about tore my arm out of the, out of the elbow socket with, yeah. it had such power. Working with Huang Zhang Li and seeing the respect that the Chinese gave him and then watching him move even at the age he was at that time, was just absolutely, again, a next level of, of, of artistry. And yeah. the, beauty, yeah. the beauty of this man's movements and his presence was just incredible. It's impossible. How can you last this long? Don't you know? We're horse trainers. 
how into Hong Kong movies were you? Did you know that, you know, Corey Yoon had grown up with Jackie Chan and Sammo? I and had no idea. No idea? Sure, okay. <laughs> I didn't know any of these people. All I knew is, is I was there, and if Jean-Claude Van Damme was afraid to go there, and Kurt, Kurt, <laughs> Kurt was ha- had no problem not going because he was doing soap operas. And sure. he was on a soap opera and making good money. So he didn't want to give that up that job. Mm-hmm. And Jean-Claude, you know, wasn't going to show up. So they found us. But the fact of the matter is, is that it was a trial. It was the hardest thing I had ever even attempted to do. Thank God I taught, you know, learned to be in a dojang barefoot getting hot and cold hot and cold for eight ten hours a day mm-hmm. training with people because this was and this was like fighting three grand championship tournaments a day was cynthia rothrock any help because she'd she'd worked with Corey yoon quite a bit before that film she'd been in hong kong she would she knew the ropes was yeah. she helpful in sort of help you know guiding you when you're on that set well put it this way she is one of the sweetest young ladies. I, I remember watching her when I was just a pup coming up in the martial arts with the West Coast demo team. Just watching her and being friends with, you know, when, when you're around greatness, it brings you up. Sure. You, you, it, it somehow, you know, you, you, you're just around this. And I had already, trust me, in the martial arts, in in whatever I knew, I had set the bar so high for myself. I was mm-hmm. never satisfied. That's something that's a trait that goes in both sides of my family. My father, a naval aviator, fighter pilot, one of the, you know, I, I put him to rest in t- 2018, had an F-18 flyover missing man mm. formation because this man had was a double ace plus and had been in two wars and was an absolute was just fearless so i had that then i had my mom i had all this and so now i'm surrounded by some of the some of the greatest martial artists of that day um in in the world and i didn't really know that i just knew that yeah. i was there to to do a job and i was going to do it the very very best i can and the chinese stuntmen would get mad at me because i kept saying i want to do that i want to do that i want to try that and i would and they came to me and they would say all right Lauren, you take a rest if you work all you you do everything we know work you, you, you do. I, and I told them, I explained to them, I said, uh, I said, thank you for being so kind. Please let me try. I, na- I need to learn. I need to try to do this. Also, I want the audience to see me as much, my character, me doing these things. Because mm-hmm. one of the things always bothered me was seeing, okay, the guy's putting on a hat. He's going to get doubled now. And he's, you know, sure. he's not guy doing you had all of these incredibly gifted athletes there that were the stunt team. And then you had Yunque who knew exactly, who didn't speak a lick of English. I think the only thing we got him to say, which would crack everybody up is Jesus, 
Jesus, you know, and yeah. that was it. But basically being around all that and immersing myself in that and doing all of those, doing Spencer Tracy, you want to learn how to act, be an actor, get a job as an actor and learn, you know? So, well, mm. I got, I got it, uh, you know, the best kind of training you can. And that, yeah. that was doing it. First scene we shot was me and Max talking over how we're going to invade the camp. And when sure. Yun Kuei saw the chemistry between the two of us, me and Max, and he saw, he could feel because you can feel it, you know, you, mm. the camera doesn't lie either. And then he saw the dailies and he saw how we look together. He was, he was totally into it at that point. Do you remember seeing it for the first time then once oh, it was God. all wrapped and everything? I mean, were oh. you what were your thoughts? Well, let's just say I was went to the Pacific Theater on Hollywood Boulevard and I bought my ticket and went in and uh, sat in the back of the theater and I I must have drained every ounce of sweat from my body. I was gripping I was gripping the 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 armrests so tight i probably if they tried to remove my arms i probably would have torn the armrests off just just absolutely you know riveted to you know what what people were watching and and listening yeah. to their reaction and sometimes they were laughing at parts that you know really weren't supposed to be funny but whatever I saw myself and my whole thing was is that you project energy, you project charisma, you project you you say to yourself no matter what's going on they're going to be looking at me cuz I am so focused and concentrated on what mm -hmm. I'm doing and I am so into it not trying to overdo it although that's the problem with the Chinese direction is more, more, bigger, more, more, more in your sure. face, more, yeah. you know, well, no, I, I don't want, it's not a, you know, a kabuki play here, guy. Okay, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. you do your one and you do one for me, I want, okay, all right, fine, and then the editor gets to choose, but that's the thing, I, I was yeah. to death, and I got, I walked out of there, I was with my girlfriend, and she's like, my God, you're soaking wet, I said, yeah. <laughs> I was scared to death to see myself up there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you going to do now? Try again? 
Hey, hasn't your master taught you how? Hasn't he? Even now, those three movies you did with Seasonal, those fight scenes still hold up today. I mean, they're it's exceptional work. I mean, you must feel very proud you must feel very proud you know to look back at those at those films i am i'm extremely proud and lucky so lucky to have had a the knowledge of you know i mean yun kuei was uh in bruce lee movies you know as a stuntman uh you know all of these guys were amazing and the fact of the matter is is i have a big problem with and this is nothing against all my brothers that are fight choreographers and are big big time stunt coordinators now second unit directors but the over choreography that goes on now there's a certain dimension of timing in the human mind now maybe the video game generation needs to see all of this you know, overdone, over choreographed stuff. But when I see it, I sit there and I go, okay. Um, You know, some of the things that I like, like, for example, my buddy JJ, he did Undisputed 3 with Michael J. White and Scott Atkins. Some of those fight scenes in there. When I watched that in Hawaii, I had no idea JJ uh, had done that, and I'm like, and I'm looking at it because I hired JJ for his first two fight choreo jobs uh, he ever got, and I said, it yeah. looks like JJ Perry making those moves right there, and it was. And then the thing is, is but then you get into some of these other, you know, all of these character movies, these movies where you know these are superheroes or they're in this alternate yeah. reality. Like, first of all, I love John Wick. But then when it starts to get into the John Wick world and it gets a little bit more ethereal, a little bit more matrixy, uh, you lose a little bit. Sure. You know, sure. look, I am absolute. I love Chad Stahels. He's a terrific guy. He showed up yeah. for me to help me with some low budgie things. All those guys um, at eighty seven eleven are absolutely amazing. They have set the bar reset the bar for action and uh but it, honestly there i would rather see a good hard it, when it looks like it hurts fight than yeah. all of this technical stuff that i see that's very fancy you know i mean it's fancy yeah. but i kind of get i i am I, I disengage at that point hmm. my eye hmm. disengages sometimes you see the power Sometimes you see the reaction, but I don't see, even though these guys are getting flying all over the place or whatever, I don't see the way the camera is capturing the pain or the moments where you really see that this hurts. I think that those fight scenes, particularly the ones, you know, that you were working on there in those seasonal films, I mean, well, let's take the the Billy Blanks fight, fight at the end of King of the Kickboxers, for instance. I mean, that is that is a grueling, hard-hitting, you know, extended... You feel all the, all the moves. There's a sense of uh, realism about them, isn't there? Well, there was realism about them. We were kicking yeah. the shit out of each other. <laughs> and the fact is, is that, you know, Billy, I have to compliment Billy. I cannot tell you enough good things about that man. 
seven-time world karate champion at that time, showed up at 235 pounds to my soaking wet 168 pounds. The first scene of the movie he shoots is the thing where uh, Bruce Fontaine gets the hook in the bottom of his throat and he gets, they are waiting for me. And he, you know, he beats the crap out of him, hauls him up. He's 235 right there. You look at him and you go, oh my God, it's, yeah. it's Goliath. Well, he lost, yeah. he lost about, I'd say, 30 pounds over the course of the, the film because there's no way you can keep your weight on and be in 99% humidity in 100-degree weather. Yeah. And he, would, he did his scene with his shirt off. I did mine so I could have pads on because, let me tell you, Billy kicks like a mule. And uh, the thing is, is that he was so gracious, though. He came up to me early in the production, as was Keith Cook. Keith, an absolutely amazing athlete. Amazing yeah. athlete. Yeah, and, fantastic. And we all worked together. But Billy came to me and he said, Lauren, this is your movie. I want it to be phenomenal. So whatever we do, we do it together. And, you know, we'll, we're going to make this something that people are never going to forget. When he said yeah. that to me, I was so relieved because you can have people that have ego when they shouldn't bring that at all to a set and to a situation. And I, that's what I encountered with Jerry Trimble. He was pissed off. He wasn't the star of the movie. So he was kicking me as hard as he could in rehearsals and kicking me, hitting me in the groin and doing this and doing that. Well, let me tell you, the Chinese fixed him, boy. They, they saw what he was doing. But Billy was amazing. Keith Cook, when Yoon Kwei came out to do that fight scene where Prang finally shows he's faking all of this drunk stuff and he's going to whoop all these guys' asses, there's one thing where Keith does three spin kicks in a, in a row. And he said, yeah. he said to me, Lauren, I can't get around. This is how we work together. You know, we help each other. He said, I can't get around on that third one. I said, jump. And that's what he did, and it is spectacular. When he does that split kick coming down the stairs, he was so precise, he missed on the spot where he had to miss them on the first split. But then he still has, he's still got forward momentum, and he kicked this guy so hard with the roundhouse kick after that that the guy had blood coming from his mouth, from his ear, from the whole nine yards. Lucky didn't break his jaw. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, is that he was in the moment and that's where, and the stuntman had to be there and he had to put his foot there. And if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I mean, here's Keith Cook, just an amazing, amazing martial artist. There's no winner or loser, only life or death. Oh. this enemy he has to learn to enter the ring without fear completely and totally ready to die only one man will leave the ring alive and he will be the king of the kickboxers by king of the kickboxers that was your third 
film with seasonal with that team you were pretty match fit by that stage would you say i mean you were you were going at that role knowing roughly what to expect is that fair to say or was it still quite a surprising (laughs) shoot oh you're 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 as prepared as you can be but there's there's gonna be a curveballs coming all over the place it's called cya cover your ass (laughs) but the fact is is that when i did no retreat two i thought geez the way these people are 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 treating me i'd call my mom every weekend and say mom did did the wire come in with my salary for the week yep it came in okay great because i was thinking well at least when they kill me at the end of this movie, because that's what I felt they were trying to do every day anyway, was to kill me. Um, yeah. That at least my mom will have money to have my body shipped back to the States. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, Lauren, do you remember how much you got paid for those films? Like what was the contracts that they, they signed you up? Embarrassed to say that my first film, I got $15,000. Yeah, uh, for No Retreat Two, I got twenty five thousand dollars for Blood Brothers, and here's yep. what NG did to me. I had again offers to do other films, and I said to NG, NG, I don't have any money. I need to, you know, I've got to work. He said, Okay, Lauren, I'm going to send you some money. He sends me ten grand. Then when we sit down two days before we're supposed to start shooting the film, three three days, excuse me. He says, okay, Lauren, I'm taking that 10000 I gave you out of your salary uh, for this film. I just about fucking blew my stack. Yeah. Excuse my language. But I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. fine. So I did the movie, and then in King of the Kickboxers, I got fifty grand. Now, I was supposed to get uh, net profits from Blood Brothers and from King of the Kickboxers. Never saw a penny. Uh, Imperial made Lionheart, Double Impact, Nemesis, yep. Angel Town, all these movies with these other actors, and they just basically pulled the wool over my eyes, saying, "We're gonna, you know, we got some, we got some scripts and some things we want to do with you." And da 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 da. So I didn't push, push it. Well, that five years, or you know, there's millions of dollars that I should have that I don't. Yeah, because they were huge films, weren't they? I mean, I remember seeing them. They were huge, you know, video hits, and there's a huge following for those films. Absolutely. They made at least, you know, NG, and, you know, it was net profits. But put it this way, the Video Software Dealers Association at Las Vegas Convention, we had a huge booth, a stage set up. Me and Billy were doing demos, all you know, every day for four days. And... Um, they were selling three box sets of VHS tapes uh, wholesale for $187. Okay. Wow. So you can imagine, let's see, there was probably about 25 or 30,000 video stores in America at that time. So they, the three, the three pack wasn't enough because these movies were getting rented, uh, more so than any of the other action films. So you do the math about how much money that is. And that's sta- it's staggering. It's millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. And then King of the Kickboxers, the same thing. 
they sent Billy around for the promo tour on that one because they had sent me around for Blood Brothers. And rightfully so, because Billy was a phenomenon. You know, I mean, they'd already, yeah. all the VSD, all the, we did three cities a day when I did the promo tour. But um, Billy was the guy. But yeah, so mm. I never got a penny. Do you resent NG for that? I mean, do, oh, you, everybody, do you have any? Everybody resents NG because NG ripped a lot of people off. His name is NG for a reason. It stands for no good. And uh, But, you know, he, he was the boss. And he, I guess when you run the ship, you know, you can do what you want. Uh, but the mm, fact of mm. the matter is, is yeah, he owes a lot of people a lot of money. He's not well. I don't resent him for it. I don't resent anybody for it. It's my fault for not getting a lawyer or, or pressing Imperial. It's uh, It was my call to, to try to pursue this, but I did not want to make any enemies. I didn't want to piss anybody off or make mm. people think that, you know, oh, uh, you know, Lauren is, you know, ask, is putting us in an awkward position because I thought, mm. ah, screw it. I'm going to make more movies. I'll make more money and then I'll eventually produce movies and then I'll make money that way. Is that why you didn't then sign on and stay with Seasonal once the, that, that contract was up? Were they going to offer you oh, no. another contract? No, no. They, they wanted to see Seasonal. The thing that was beautiful about Seasonal is is that they were great at getting new talent and they were great. You know, I think Gary Daniels did the next movie was blood moon. Sure. Gary had sent me his promo pack and I saw this guy ripped to shreds doing great technique. And I wrote him back a note saying, you're going to be a star. You you need no advice from anyone. Just keep, keep keep yourself out there. You're going to be a star. And the yeah. same thing with Daniel Bernhardt. I couldn't believe that Daniel Bernhardt, his demo reel was, and he's still working, isn't he? Isn't he the guy? Oh, God, yeah. Wick? Yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very busy. Movie. Yeah, he's, he looks yeah, terrific. in the John Wick films, yeah. He looks terrific. And yeah. I have nothing but respect for that, uh, for that guy. His demo reel, he didn't say a word. He just bounced around, laughed, and did some stuff for, you know, some kicks and some punches for two minutes. And I'm like, Okay, where's the acting? I don't see one acting yeah. scene here. But he got signed. And, you know, I made some mistakes along the way, too. You know, I, I had a good agent and a good agency, but I didn't like my agent. I should have gone to talk to the head of the agency, but I didn't. I just dropped him. And that was a big mistake because I, I should have laddered up. I should have kept with this group because I, I had such a terrible relationship with the guy that was representing me. He was always mm. talking to me like I was a piece of shit and I couldn't stand it. I just, it's just my own personal, but I was naive. I should have gone to speak to Martin Gage and said, Hey, why is Rick always talking to me? Like he's doing me a favor and I don't deserve to talk to him kind of attitude. I didn't do that. I was dumb. I I, mm. I had my own ego, I guess, and two, and I was not. I had no mentor. I had no one to. Well, yeah, and that's the thing, Lauren. Like you're you're a young guy, and you're riding high off the back of some very successful films there, and you learn pretty quickly that Hollywood's a pretty ruthless industry, isn't it? <laughs> really, yeah, there's there's it's a machine. 
Yeah. And there's only certain folks that are going to be a part of the machine and you can get to be a part of the machine. You had a deal. I read somewhere that PM Entertainment approached you with a deal after after this. But that, yeah. Naive. I should have. I was in Cannes. I got myself to Cannes and I was walking around and um, I think it was... uh, Philippe Merhi, I can't remember, you know, Pepin Merhi Entertainment offered mm-hmm. me a three-picture deal. And I said, thank you, let me think about it. And then I didn't sign with him. Well, I could have been working. But the fact of the matter is I should have because they didn't make the best action movies, really. I mean, they, they did not have the caliber of action. And I, I probably, uh, in hindsight, being 2020. Uh, should have signed the three-picture deal with them and then put together my own team. Uh, mm. But, you know, I thought that I thought I was going to, you know, find somebody else that can that was going to give me a, a better deal or something or other. And then I, so I didn't respond. And then I never worked for PM ever. So mm. there it is. Mm. But that's okay. You know, again, young and dumb and, thinking that I can do better. Uh, I yeah. should have done, I should have just signed on the shine on the dotted line, but I was, look, I, I had this ethic still that if you sign up to do something, you've got to do it. Yeah. I didn't have the, let's just say, I don't know. I, I couldn't do what Van Damme did or does or any of these other people who, say they're going to do it and then they don't show up or whatever. Yeah. I, I didn't know PM. All I knew is, is that I'm coming off probably one of the best action movies, you know, around in that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was hardcore martial arts. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that there wasn't great movies out lethal weapon and this and that. Yeah. But those, I mean, you know, King of the Kickboxers say is, is quite a cut above the sort of stuff that, um, I don't know, no offense to people like Don Wilson or, you know, any of those guys, but, you know, the action in those films was was a cut above. Well, you know, um, Don came in to play Prang, and he came in to read, and the uh, the Chinese did a little test with him, and they said, no, he can't move. He, he doesn't have the, the characteristics that we... Right. Built. I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I love Don. Look, I would not want to get in the ring with Don Wilson. No. <laughs> no. Hold on! I know who you are, you bastard. Your time has come. Then your son. Were you surprised once you started working in that world within Hollywood, you're appearing in those martial arts films? just how different the approach was in Hollywood compared to the Chinese work ethic. That must have been like chalk and cheese, surely. Oh, it was, it was worse than chalk and cheese. <laughs> uh, you, you couldn't palate it for the most part at all. You just kind of had to do what you were told. And that's what a good actor or a good person, either the director is the director. And, yeah. and if if the you know first unit's doing it or if there's no second unit or you have a stunt coordinator that does not have i mean tony leung shin hong and the people that i worked with 
And Tony Leung Shin Hong, you know, he's the green dragon master in the first Ip Man. So here's a guy who's still working. You yeah. know, uh, that was a few years ago, but still, yeah. when you get on a set and you're, and they don't have the same, I mean, I don't know what, what to say. They don't have the same width and breadth and depth of knowledge of yeah. martial arts and let alone yeah. camera with martial arts. Also, they are working on some kind of schedule where, you know, look, when you're in Thailand and you're in Hong Kong, you're working until they tell you we're done. Not only that, I mean, you know, that Billy Blanks fight took, what, four weeks or something to film? I mean, you know, they're spending weeks on just one fight scene, whereas on a lot of these movies that were being made in that martial arts boom, in the video boom, you're lucky if you probably had a day just to do a fight scene. That's right. And, you know, if you're doing it, you're doing it the best you can. And if some camera guy screws up or whatever, you got to do it again and again. You know, a lot of that uh, stuff with Billy and I was shot on just an Airy 3C, just a handheld camera where you can adjust the the frame rate. You just hold it. It's handheld. You have somebody with a battery pack or a cable behind you. And it's it it was a lot of times uh, Tony that was capturing the action. And then they'd have somebody else looking at there was no monitors there was nobody looking at a monitor. It was all in camera, and then somebody else would be looking and from the same angle. And since Tony's trying to find his footing and do whatever he can do, then the other guy would say either, you know, okay or chunbong, which means fake. Mm. And so we do it again and again and again and again. And speaking of that last scene, when they had built the set, they had real bamboo punji sticks in the water below those uh, scaffolds or, you know, those, sure. yeah. those things. And I said, guys, um, you think we could put some rubber ones in where it's kind of close to these platforms? Because even if one of you guys slips off, I don't think it'll end well if you <laughs> land on one of these sharpened bamboo sticks so you know that's what i mean about cover your ass is you always would walk it and talk it and say you know this or that and they'd ask are you okay with this you okay with that the other thing just to digress we had the thai army there as as extras for all of these uh, all of these things when we have the final you know showdown that all the the boom boom bang bang you know claymore mines and whatever Well, the beginning of that is me coming up a guard tower and grabbing a guy around the neck and, you know, sticking him with a knife or whatever I did, right? Well, that was a Thai Army captain, good-looking guy. And so I'm, I've got Gang Chu, who's the head, you know, choreographer, one of the old dogs there, standing behind me on a painter's ladder that's about 25 feet high and is not quite big, tall enough. So they have to build a scaffold to put the painter's ladder on. And then he's behind me just in case I slip. But I gra- the captain came to me the next day and he showed me 
me, me, my little 165 pound soaking wet skinny ass had put black and blue and green uh, bruises around his shoulder and his neck because I was so scared that I was going to fall that mm-hmm. I was hanging on to him for dear life. And I apologized up and down to him. I said, I am so sorry. If there's anything I can do to make it up to you, I, I was afraid at that time to fall. And the only thing keeping me from falling was you. And so please forgive me. And he, of course, he just smiled. And He's a captain in the Thai army. He's not a pussy. But he wanted yeah. to show me what I had done to him. because I was scared to death that I was going to fall back and that would be the end of Lauren. Is that what I bastard here? Who the hell are you? You dare call our boss that? I've seen clips of you recently and doing fight choreography and things and, you, you know, you've still got the moves. You can still do it. Is this something that you're keen to pursue still? Well, let's just say it would be nice to to produce and direct. I've, I've got a couple of, you know, irons in the fire, but okay. I, I have been out of the business for so long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I may, with all respect to my, my peers, you don't see too many, unless you're Keanu Reeves, you don't see too many or Sylvester Stallone, but then he produces mm-hmm. his own movies and funds them and is on more human growth hormone than 10 men because uh, you don't look like that when you're 70 something no, it doesn't happen but you know realism so the realism is is i gave up a lot of my career to do two things to be a father and then to be a good son when i was in hawaii that was my way of coping with taking care of my mother until she passed away mm-hmm. and i have always had this tremendous conscience and I couldn't have, I had a chance to transition into stunt coordinating when Garrett Warren had to go off some show they were shooting in Hawaii. And I went to some audition where um, I can't remember. I think it was Greg Jackson head of American karate who was kind of looking for the guy who would replace Garrett. And I brought J.J. Clay Barber and a couple of other incredible stunt guys with me to audition to be on the show. And Greg Jackson came up to me and said, you know, Lauren, we want you to come over and coordinate the the television show. And I said, let me think about it. Let me get back to you. And I came home and there's my wife and my little girl. And I realized that I I couldn't leave them, that it would be too Mm -hmm. hard on them and on me. And then the same sort of thing happened with my daughter and why I went back into stunt work is because uh, I didn't have a dad around when I was growing up. And when I first saw, I don't know if you have any, any kids. No, but no, not yet. When you do, you will meet the greatest teacher and the love of your life. So I couldn't leave them. Now, these days, what do I have to offer? Oh man, there's so much stuff in my brain that yeah. that I could offer, but nobody's asking that has the money. There's a machine mm. out there. It is a machine. You've got so many 
buddies that are still very active in in the film world i mean certainly it is something that it's if you did want to pursue i'm sure the the avenues are still there i mean it's possible but here's another uh, here's another aspect of my character i don't want to take away another man's job there are certain things that you make choices in especially if it's stunts or it's this. And, and also, I have been, I, I tried my own productions, and each time I got screwed, I got more mm. dagger holes in my back, and some of them are still open. But the fact is, is that, uh, you know, I just don't want to be the guy carrying around the script under his arm and begging for money or trying to put this, cobble this together and cobble that together. Now, yeah. There's some things that have come my way and that I've helped friends with. And if, and if they come to fruition, I'll definitely be a part of. I've got scripts I've written. I've got so much in my head that I could offer, and it's just there. I can't mm. explain it, but it's just natural. You either got it or you don't, and I've got it, and it's still yeah. there. But you know what? No, I'm, not, I'm not seeking out an agent. I'm not trying to get any work. Because honestly, there's a lot of stuff out there and guys are working. I'm happy for them. But frankly, the business is bigger than the show. And also the personalities and the people and the egos that you have to deal with. Frankly, I'm spoiled. I'm a warrior. I'm a, I'm a martial artist first. And I, I, frankly, I, I, I can't put up with it, a, a lot of it. I, I just can't. I I, mm. I don't I don't mean to say that in a negative way. I probably shot myself in the foot by saying that. But the fact is, is that I, I just see things and I go, okay, this is the same thing done over and over again. Yeah, it'd be nice to make some money. But the fact is, is that I'd rather be producing, writing, or directing. I've got some things there. But everybody can produce, write, and direct. Yeah. Now, all you need yeah. is a camera and some people, yeah. and you get you make a movie. I hid in Hawaii for nine years to cope with my mother's situation. Now I'm back mm. out of the rabbit hole, but I don't expect a whole lot of folks are going to, you know, jump at the chance to do this or that with me. You must notice there's a lot of love for the work that you've done. You have fans all over the world, you know, as a result of the the films that you've been in. I mean, that must be quite humbling in in many ways. It's humbling. I am so grateful. You know, one mustn't be greedy. And, um, you know, there's a certain timeline for everybody. Not too many old farts are out there making action movies unless you're doing a James Bond film and there's only one of them. So, you know, and, and I see Craig Fairbrass, I see Scott Scott's in his prime now, and he is such an amazingly good looking, talented actor. His range. I, I don't know if he has range cause they keep putting him in these same kind of movies. But mm-hmm. the fact is, is you got to know, when you know look i would love to sit in the chair i would love to produce i'd love to direct i'd love to whisper in people's ears but people you know the business is is the business and i'm not going to go try to reintroduce myself it's just it's it's a path that 
I, I'm just grateful to have been a part of the golden age of Hong Kong cinema. I want to continue to give. If I can do something for others, that's the most important thing. And you know, I'm, I'm going to be 60 in a couple years. And the most important thing to me is kids. If I can just somehow keep teaching kids, keep influencing them, keep being a a decent role model and still be a good dad. I might be getting married pretty soon too. That's going to be a big yeah. Congratulations. Switch for me. Thank you. Just hearing you and the enthusiasm and the appreciation that you have, that is worth more than all of the gold, all of the silver, all of the awards, yeah. whatever one could ever, ever ask for. And the fact is, is that, Nothing lasts forever. So, you know, it would be great to do to do some work, to share some knowledge. I'm around. I'm not hard to find. But, you know, the other thing is, is it's got to be the right thing as well. Lauren, thank you very much for taking the time to, to do this today. And thank you very much for doing what you do for Kung Fu Movie Guide and for allowing people, you know, to be educated a little bit more on some of the great action that's been, you know, brought out through the years. And uh, it's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lauren. You take care and stay safe. I shall, and you as well. God bless. Lauren Avedon there. Really great to chat to Lauren Avedon. We could have talked for hours there. He was absolutely fascinating and really refreshing to hear someone speak so openly and honestly about his experiences in the film world. I mean, it's a very tough industry, but Lauren is in a very happy place right now, which is great to see. And of course, we would love to see him return to the movies in whatever capacity that is, if that's in front of the cameras or behind the cameras. He does have a wealth of knowledge to impart. So who knows, maybe one day we will get to see Lauren Avedon back in action. If you did enjoy that and you do want to hear a bit more from Lauren, then I would definitely recommend watching him on The Art of Action, in which he is interviewed by none other than friend of the show scott adkins you can watch all episodes of the art of action now on scott's official youtube channel in which he talks to martial arts film stars and filmmakers and dissects their best work it is really really good so do go online and check it out i've been really enjoying watching the episodes so far they feature the likes of tony jar michael jai white marco zoror Gareth Evans and Kane Kusogi. Scott's obviously worked with a lot of these people in the past, so it is just great to watch them chat and geek out about their favourite fight scenes and action scenes that they have been involved in. So there you go. That's my top tip, guys. If you haven't already checked that out, then do check out The Art of Action on YouTube. For now, you can keep up to date with all the latest Lauren Avedon news via Instagram and Facebook. He is at Lauren Avedon Official on both of those social media accounts. He is also on Twitter at Lauren Avedon and there is his website, laurenavedon.com. 
Okay, thank you so much for checking out and listening to this episode of the show. A huge thank you to Lauren for talking to me, and a big thank you to you, the loyal Foo follower, for listening all the way to the very end of the show. Thank you so much. Visit kungfumovieguide.com for all our social media links, donation options, and contact information. I will be back with you all in two weeks' time with another new episode of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. Until then, please do take good care, stay safe, and I will speak to you all again very soon on the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. Bye for now. Bye for now.